This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. If you've got your Bibles, would you open to Revelation 19? Because I want to share with you a little bit about, actually, I guess it's, I just gave an example of what we're about to talk about. I didn't even mean to do that. It's been a complicated few weeks in America, hasn't it? A complicated year. But you know what, guys? It's a complicated world. We've lived in a country that is, uh, for the better part of it, we've, you know, we've done okay in the world. But the history of humanity, the, the history of humankind, war is the rule. It is not the exception. Uh, violence is the rule. It's not the exception. That's the history of humanity. And in Revelation 19, we get to see where God is leading all of this to. Uh, The story of mankind, the story of the Bible, 66 books, 40 authors, 1,500 years, it tells one story. It tells the story of creation, of the fall, and of redemption, and of restoration. And it's good to know where you are in the story, right? Like, how many of you guys have flown through DFW, the airport, Dallas, Fort Worth, God-forsaken stretch of tarmac. It's like a, it's like the Vatican for airplanes. Like just just massive. But somebody write that down. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's third service. I'm I'm on a roll now. Um, if you fly into Dallas Fort Worth, you come into whatever Seagate, C terminal, whatever. It's the same one back and forth. And then you got to get on that train. You know the train I'm talking about. And when you're on that train you're not almost to your next gate. And it, and it has this little circle that gives you the impression that you're closer than you are. But this little light blinks at your gate where you are. And my son and I were literally just there flying to Montana a, a few weeks ago. So you get on the train and you see on the red light, this is where we are. And then you get to see this is where we're going and the red light will blink in the next place of where you're, you're headed to. Do you know what I'm saying? So in this story of God and story of man, there's the story of the fall, right? Or of creation of the fall, of redemption and restoration. It is good to know where we are in the story. So, so the little red light blinking of where we are on the train right now is we are on the redemption part of the story. Now, where we're going, which is Revelation 19, this is the future, is the restoration of all things. So here we are. We are redeemed. Our our souls, our sins are forgiven. We live full of the Holy Spirit, but we're not doing it in a restored world yet. And the question is, How do you live as a redeemed person in a non-restored world? It's the now and the not yet. Theologians refer to that as the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. It's genuinely just a question of, hey, how the heck am I going to do this until this world gets restored? Because there's a lot going on. And Revelation 19 paints the picture of what the world is going to be restored to. This is the beginning of that story. You've heard me joke over the years of God coming and opening up a can of whoop God and a horse. and that, Like that's what's happening here. He's getting ready to set everything 
the way it's meant to be. But in this, I think we can look at this story of what's going to happen and actually get a playbook for how we live until that happens. Because in Revelation 19, he actually lays out, this chapter lays out three different juxtapositions of what is and what is to be. And it gives us a playbook of how we can live, whether we're one or the other. And those three are, one, there's these two women. There's a prostitute and a bride. And it was PG-13 in this service. Then there are two meals, okay? One where you are invited to the meal. The other, you are the meal. And the third is these two kings. There is uh, the king of the kings of the earth, which is the beast. And then there is the king of the king of the kings of the earth, and that's Jesus. So those three juxtapositions are laid out in Revelation 19. I do believe that they refer to something that is going to happen, a literal event. And whether you believe that we get there with the rapture of the church, and then, then this is the second coming, or whether you're a millennialist, a preterist, I mean, good luck. I don't know how you get there, but you do. But however you get there, what we will eventually get to is Revelation 19, 20, and 21, 22, which is the restoration of all things. We are in redemption. How do we live in a non-restored world as redeemed people? So the first juxtaposition are these two women. In verses um, 19, uh, he, he speaks of this, uh, this great, I'm sorry, it's chapter 19, verse two, sorry. Wow, it might really be time to up, up these to 1.25. No, I just feel like I need a better, it might be time to up the glasses. Verse two. <laughs> I just don't want to. I don't want to be 50. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't want to be. And my eyes are like, well, good luck with all that, because you are. Verse two, for her true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And in the idea, we just did chapter 18, Babylon, the great prostitute, is literally what it looks like in society without God. This is the logical conclusion of secular humanism, progressive, we're without God, we don't need it anymore. This is the logical conclusion of that. And the other is this picture of a bride, verse seven. Let's rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, were given her to wear. Now, if you've got an NIV, can I help you with a little bit? This is the, I read the NIV. It is the nearly inspired version. It's not quite because they try to help it sometimes, especially the more, I, the more modern people, modern progressive they've come. Uh, the NIV translators are getting worse and worse at this, but they put in parentheses, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Do any of your versions say that, the righteous acts of it? Okay, that is not what it says. It says the righteousness of God's holy people. That word, you can look it up, blueletterbible.org, wherever concordance you want to go to. And every other time it is used in the New Testament, it is used as righteousness, not righteous acts. Why does that matter? Because we are saved by grace, not by works. That's a big deal, isn't it? 
So you mark that right out of there because that is not what it says. It says the righteousness that was given to her, not earned by her. Now here's why that matters even more here because he lays up the idea of a prostitute. Okay, uh, the, the idea of scripture uh, using Babylon as, as a prostitute is using it is this idea of uh, with a prostitute, you are paying for intimacy without vulnerability. With a prostitute, it is a transaction that is safe, but it is not a union that is eternal. The problem well, let me put it this way. Dr. Tony Evans, he always has a way of wording these things just right, better than I can. But he says that idolatry is intimacy with an image. It's not necessarily bowing down to a carved statue stuck on a pole. No, an idol is anything that usurps God's rightful rule in your life. Intimacy with an image, intimacy without risk, intimacy with a transaction that I have now purchased this and because of that, I expect this in return. That is not love, that is a negotiation. And a world without God, and I might add that a religion without Christ, both have that exact same result, which is if I do this, then I get this in return. Much of our Christian walk, especially, that we, we find ourselves, we go back to that so quickly. I, I'm going to pray so hard for this. I'm praying so hard. I'm praying so hard. And what is that saying? That if I pray hard enough that God owes me an answer to my prayer. That's not grace. That's prostitution. By the way, you don't have to repent of that kind of prayer. I'm just saying, sorry, that actually sounded harsher than I meant it. Uh, it's just, I, I don't understand grace in that way. Grace says that he loves me. He's clothing me in his righteousness. And whether I pray hard or I pray light, he loves me just the same. That his blessings and his grace and his goodness are all over me. Now out of that, when you are supremely loved like that, you will respond. But you're not responding out of a negotiation. You're responding out of a marriage out of love. Now, in our world, that right now is happening in the form of secular humanism. Because I'm telling you, in, in our side, when we talk about it from a church side of things, that religion is if I do this right and I do that right, I've been baptized, I've given him my money, I'm sitting in the front row, I'm doing no offense, Connor, I'm doing all these great things, but I'm with, if I'm withholding my heart, that's not a relationship, that is a negotiation. But secular humanism does the exact same thing. When you hear the words, uh, the thief comes not to steal, to kill, and to destroy, who is the thief speaking of in that? The enemy. No. John 10, verse 10, he's speaking to the Pharisees. And he says to the Pharisees, you guys are trying to get in any other way but through the gate of Jesus. You guys are trying to make all these rules and regulations and policies and procedures. And verse 10, and the thief, you are the, he calls them the thief. And then he says, and the thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Religion is the thief. Now, is it born in the pit of hell? Absolutely. But it's religion. 
Now juxtapose that on what a secular humanist is telling us right now. If you do this and you do this right, then you are accepted. You say this word and we don't like this word, you are cut off. You don't vote for this candidate, you are a racist, misogynist, homophobic, transphobic, evil, wicked, whatever word they want to throw out. The point is there's a population in our society right now that says if you don't obey our rules, we will kill, steal, and destroy you. That's happening in cities across the country right now. Now, is that secularism or is it a religion? Does it sound like Pharisees who say that if you do this, this, and this, you are in, and if you don't, then we are going to stone you, we're going to beat you, we're going to destroy your things. It's just another form of religion and we've got to reject it. And by the way, you can make an argument on either side of politics for this. I'm not saying one side or the other, but I am saying that if that is your belief and if you are now canceled, I mean, Good Lord, even Bill Maher, my favorite atheist, and I've got some favorite atheists out there, but even Bill Maher is saying, this is crazy. That if I'm being canceled now because I said the wrong word or I can't do that, or, you know, like that's not, that is literally religion. I heard an interview with Jerry Seinfeld talking about how much the world right now reminds him of the religious fundamentalists of the 80s. They won't even tour colleges right now. Chris Rock, Jerry Seinfeld won't even tour colleges because they're too afraid because they can't say anything anymore without getting in trouble or getting canceled. Now, what do we do about that? We live as the bride of Christ. Here's what I mean. I'm not going to argue my way out of this. I'm not going to go in there and beat anybody down. I'm not going to go out. That's not how Jesus called us to do it. But how many of you have been to a, to a wedding before, right? The beauty of the bride when, when she walks in the room. I had that happen in this room. Um, some of y'all were here when I did one of the dumbest things in my life, which was to uh, do the wedding for my daughter. <laughs> to, she asked me and it meant so much and sounded great. And then as the day is approaching, you're like, this is crazy. What was I thinking? So I, pra- I swear I did this. I practiced. I found a picture of Maddie when she was five. Because in my mind, that's who this jerk was marrying, was my five-year-old daughter with her smiley little face, her chin, her kindergarten. He's actually not a jerk. He's a terribly nice man. But anyway, uh, but, <laughs> but you know how that is. Like, he's your sworn enemy. <laughs> like any, any, anyway. <laughs> ben, if you ever hear this, I do love you, son. Um, I rehearsed it. I'm going to nail this thing. I'm getting it all out of my system. And then the door opens and in walks my daughter and I just was a hot mess. I just couldn't hardly finish a sentence and, and she just looked so beautiful. And there's something about a bride on a wedding day. I've done a few of them. Uh, Bush has just missed one because they were quarantining in Florida. Um <laughs> weddings are great or whatever, but I just don't like wearing a suit. It's probably one of my least favorite things is to wear a suit, right? <laughs> Litigation, funerals, and weddings are really the only three reasons left to, uh, to wear them. Um, so, I, you know, I don't like, but, but every time the bride walks in the room, the same thing happens. 
everybody turns around, everybody looks, and the beauty of her radiance, all that captures everyone's attention. I'm telling you that in our world right now are people who are getting fed up with this religion of secular humanism. They're tired of it. They don't know what to do. And if they saw the radiant bride of Christ, not the angry, raging prostitute, but the radiant bride of Christ, we have an opportunity to draw them to us. Many of you are not old enough to remember in the late 60s and early 70s when a bunch of hippies on the West Coast started coming to Jesus because the bills were coming due on the sexual revolution and there was no money in the account. Everything they had been promised would be was not. And a revival broke out on the West Coast as people were going into the ocean and being baptized by Chuck Smith and John Corson and all these Jesus hippies. And I believe we are ripe for a revival of those who want the radiant bride of Christ, not a raging prostitute of anger. Let's be that for our community. The second imagery is of a meal, of two meals. There's the meal that you are invited to, and there is the meal that you are invited to be. (laughs) And how do we get to not be that one, right? So in verse nine, it says that the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Now, I've, so again, the wedding that the bushes were quarantining from, um, (laughs) I don't know, they were on the beach, they looked pretty good where I was at, but they they weren't wearing a suit, but it, it was a lovely wedding, right, lovely, but every wedding you go to these days, you sit there for a while, you're all tied up in your suits and restrained and you're waiting forever and, and then finally the meal shows up and that piece of chicken that you could strike a match on because it's so dry and, the, and this sort of a mystery vegetable and a thing. and a, That's not the image of the wedding feast of the lamb. And then we'll sit there and wait because cake is coming and then they give you that little sliver of cake. This is like a little piece of paper with frosting on it. You just, I just wanted more than that. <laughs> this is a true story. When Shannon and I do these and I got to do the wedding, I'm, so I'm intro- I don't know if you're aware of this, I'm introverted and I'm a, anyway, I don't like to stay very long. The chances of me getting on the dance floor are about zero. Okay. So I'm looking to ditch. But she wants to stay for the cake. (laughs) I don't want to leave before the cake. This is a true conversation. We have it pretty much every wedding we go to. And even at this one, uh, she got a ride home so that I could leave and she could get the cake. (laughs) I'm looking for a wedge with a cake. You know what I mean? Not a a slice. I want like a wedge. Is it asking too much? Maybe it's asking too much. I don't know. My son, when my daughter got married, we had wedding cake uh, made by Suzanne Roberts. If you guys need a wedding cake, Suzanne Roberts will blow your ever-lover minds. It changed my son's life so much that two years later, he still will randomly out of the blue say, just did it two days ago, I'm really craving wedding cake right now. (laughs) It's pretty good. 
That's not the wedding feast of the Lamb. The wedding feast of the Lamb, when you see a wedding in a developing nation, and again, Israel, that would have been the kind of feast that they were aware of. It is like D-Day, but with food. Wave after wave after wave. It's just assaulting you with food. It is an all-day occurrence. It's a feast. That's the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's what that's talking about. That's the imagery of a celebration. Not a little slice that leaves you wanting, but a giant table full of food and fun and relationship. The other meal is the one that it says in verse 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come and gather together for the great supper of God. And what is on the menu? So you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free, slave, great, and small. Now, is that literally going to happen? I don't know. Something's going to happen, okay? When we were in Israel back in March, our guide told us that there's been a resurgence. You remember this, Laura? About there was like this specific kind of bird that is back in Israel for the first time that had not been there and is growing in number and number. Now, is that what it's talking about? Is there a literal thing? I don't know. Something's going to happen, okay? But the metaphor here that you cannot lose is this. Birds in scripture almost always speak of evil. When Jesus told the parable of the four soils and the, the, the sower sows the word, it was a bird that would come and peck away. That was one of the things. Uh, Abraham, God cut covenant with Abraham. It was birds that came to try to destroy. That. So birds are a picture of evil. Now, whatever is going to happen in the future, there's going to be this great feast of this wedding feast. There's going to be this bird feast of whatever that is. And for me, in a, in a restored world, that's what's coming after that. This is part of the restoration. But me being a redeemed person in a non-restored world, I am invited to a meal with Jesus. The Bible is full of the language of uh, a table. I'll set a table in the presence of your enemies. I will set a table in the wilderness. The, 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 the word is referred to as the bread of life. The, the, the idea of eating and consuming the word, consuming Jesus, the body, the broken body, the shed blood, that's part of the imagery of scripture. And on the other hand, being eaten alive by your anxiety, eaten alive by your fears, eaten alive by your decisions and by sin and pecking away at you. You're invited to a meal to participate on a daily basis of the word of God. The song that David sang in the morning, when I rise up, I will... How are we starting our mornings right now? Because I'll tell you how I, I tend to start my morning is I want to see what's going on in the world. And I start looking on here. And what I see is, oh man, they're beating up people in D.C., Oh man, Fauci's getting weird. Oh man, look at this and look at, no disrespect. All this is, this doesn't feed me, this eats me. This 
gnaws away at my soul and at my heart. The, the isolation, the loneliness, the separation from each other gnaws at us. And so for us, maybe a metric, I, I hate to even say it because it's, especially if you're an Enneagram one, you're gonna make a list right now because you're about to get a new rule. Don't do that to me. <laughs> but, right? Right there, she's got it. You don't even need to write it. Laura, you got it in your head. No, listen, it's, if, if I'm spending more time on this, letting it eat away at me than I am on this, letting it feed me, then I'm, I've got the order backwards and wrong. And it's hard because we want to know, it's, it's okay to know what's going on in the world. We make decisions for our church based on the facts, not on a narrative, but I have to learn what the narrative is. What are the, what's right? What's wrong? What's, but I don't know if you know this or not, but legacy media, all these news organizations, social media, they're not in the business of telling you the truth. They're in the business of scaring you or making you angry because when you're angry or you're scared, you click on the link and when you click on the link, they get paid. That's the business model. So however you're finding the information, that's okay, but don't let it be the information that's eating at your soul, pecking away at your peace, pecking away at your anxiety and at your courage. And make sure that whatever else you do in the day, make time for God's word, make time for worship. It might look different to everybody. My wife has been listening to this British guy read the Bible every day. I don't know who he is. Uh, but he reads the Bible to her all, you know, all the time. And <laughs> he seems terribly nice. I don't know, but it, it's, uh, what is it? The dwell app. Yeah. There's not like a British dude sitting in the living room reading, but it's, um, but the dwell app, she listens to the, to the, anyway, to the dwell app. Uh, I've been listening to, um, John Eldridge's. He's got a thing called the pause app. Uh, 10 to 15 minutes of just the word of God pouring into me. There are tools available to us to feed us, not to eat us. Okay? Someday this is going to happen. And I want to be at the table where I am feasting, not at the table where I'm being feasted on. And it very well could be the imagery that they're using is this is just the logical conclusion. If you've read C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, the idea of what he even feels like hell is, is that eventually there's nothing left of you at all, but your insecurities and you're scared and all that. And, and that for an eternity is very much called hell. And just like you can live now in the restored world, or you can live in the redeemed world, uh, moving towards heaven, you can also start your hell life right now too. And I just don't want to do that. Now, the last thing, and I'm going to get you out of here, are these two kings. The two kings. There is the king of kings. It says in um, verse 11, I saw uh, heaven standing open. There before me was a white horse. His rider is called Faithful and True. Look, I hope it's a real horse, if I'm being real honest. I think that would be just fantastic. You know, I, I'm a redneck guy. Uh, in my younger life, I had the chance. Um, anybody know who Willie George is? If I say that, Gospel Bill. Tankersley, you know who that is, right? Jimmy, you know? You don't know who Gospel Bill is? You do? Okay. <laughs> You're, how, do you, how do you know that? You're too young. <laughs> he ran around with John Osteen, so I thought you might have known him. Anyway, um, he, he did like these country, uh, like cowboy things for kids. I don't, go Google Gospel Bill and you'll figure it out. 
But it, it, there was a season where he was making these films with one of his televangelist buddies. I don't know who, but they were on horseback. And so they would actually, my roommate was a director of television and occasionally they would need someone to come get shot off a horse. Um, I was 19, 50 bucks was a lot of money in 1989. I'll fall off a horse for 50 bucks. So that, you know, I, I enjoyed that a lot, and I hope that these are real horses. I don't know. But I know that the metaphor is this. A white horse was not given to anybody but the king. If, if, if you're a soldier in the army with a spear or a, or a shield, that's great. You don't get the white horse. That's the king's horse. So when it says that he's coming on that horse, you can know that that is the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. Now it says we'll be on horses with him. That's the part where I'm like, man, I hope this is actual literal. Maybe if not, he'll, there'll be, I don't know, maybe there'll be horses, who knows. But the idea that we are coming with him, he is at our, uh, he is our king, he is our, and then the other king is this beast, this king, the, the great world leader, antichrist. And in verse 19, he says that I saw that beast uh, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. With these signs, he deluded those who had received the mark of the beast, worshipped its image. Remember what we said the mark of the beast is? Whatever I worship will mark me. If I'm worshipping my job, worshipping my career, worshipping my relationship, that marks me. But the mark of Jesus, right? The seven, that's the mark that we want. Anyway, received the mark, worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And whatever else that might mean, what it does mean is that death, that sin, that destruction, that Babylon, that what's happening in Honduras to those children will be gone forever. Forever. That's what this restoration is of all things. A burning lake of sulfur. Sulfur in the Greek was used for purification. So it didn't even say fire, but sulfur. It's a very specific thing, purifying the earth. That is coming. What do we do for now? What do we do for now? We saddle up our horses and we get to Honduras and we save those children we get to, and I'm not asking you for money right now, but look, this restoration house, what's happening in Haiti right now, our school was broken into on Friday night. All the computers were stolen. We just managed to get our kids back in school because by the way, we're taking our kids back to school in Uganda and in Haiti because they are at way more danger at home than they are at school. They are, it's incredibly dangerous for a young girl to not be able to be in a school all day long when she is uh, very much subjected to the dangers of a community without law enforcement. Those schools are being opened. We are sending them back. We are going to sponsor these kids. We're going to get these teachers paid, all that stuff. But that's what you do. That the bride of Christ now living in this world, we are going to be a part of the king of kings. If he's coming to put death and destruction in the pit of hell, we get a chance right now to say, we're going to, lives in Pakistan, we're going to save that. We're going to literally get them out of that because that's what God would want them to be. True religion is this, James 1 says, that you would care for the widows and the orphans. Of everything else we can get busy doing, we ought to be real busy doing that. Many of you have been involved in that with adoption, with foster care, with love, with 
That's what we do until the restored world, redeemed people do that. And why do we do that? I'm going to tell you. (sighs) Because Jesus himself said, I will become the meal so that you don't have to be. Take this, my body, eat it. Take this, my blood, drink it. That is the imagery of saying that because I'm going to let sin eat me alive. Now you can live forever in freedom. He's giving us white linens. And his robe, it says here in chapter 19, was dipped in blood. And because his robe was dipped in blood, that blood washes our robes white as snow. And when you think about the bride and the groom, and the one thing that you might have thought that I skipped over was, well, what if I'm the bride, but I'm not being faithful to my groom? Do you remember when Jesus said to his Pharisees, and they were asking about marriage, and he said that the only lawful reason to divorce somebody is because of infidelity. And that verse, I think, has been used and misused over the years to say that if someone is being physically assaulted and beaten and abused, that they can't leave their spouse because there hasn't been uh, infidelity and they use that scripture. But the context of that scripture has nothing to do with that. The context of that scripture has to do with Jesus. Remember Jesus, the first thing he did, John chapter two? He's at a wedding. He's a single guy at a wedding. And he's not trying to pick up chicks. (laughs) At the wedding? No, he's looking at the wine. And they said, we're out of wine, make wine. He says, my time has not yet come, speaking of his death. Can you imagine what must have been going through his mind? He's looking at his future bride, so to speak, the body of Christ, realizing that I can't drink this wine, right, until I drink that wine on the last night of his life. He says, if this cup, any way that this cup could be passed for me, please let it, Lord, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he drank that cup, the cup from the wedding, the cup, and knowing that one day you and I would not be faithful in that wedding. Listen to me. He gives himself the out in this wedding, saying, you are not faithful. I have the right to put you away. He gives himself the out, and then he doesn't take it. Because John 10, 28 says, you are safe in my hands. Nobody will pluck you away from me. That's how much he loves you that even when you are not faithful, he's not gonna leave you or forsake you. That thief, John 10, 10, I've come to kill, kill, steal, and destroy. It's just a few verses later that Jesus would then say that, but you're not, no one's taking you out of my hands. None of these knucklehead Pharisees are taking you out of my hands because you're safe. And when you are loved so purely as that, when you are loved so selflessly as that, of course you'd go to Honduras. Why would you not? Of course you'd offer him your everything. How couldn't you? It's not out of a bondage and a contract and prostitution. It's out of love. And the only appropriate response, and when you stumble tomorrow, he still loves you, still brings you back. You're safe in his hands. That is how you lived as a redeemed person in a world that is yet to be restored. Stand to your feet. Let's pray.
Jesus, we give you the praise and the glory that you are revealed in this book of revelation as the one who loves us, the one who is coming back for us, the one who will not leave us, will not forsake us, revealed as the one who even now lives ever to make intercession for us. And Father, I pray that in this room right now is a bunch of world-changing people that'll live as redeemed people, live not as fear, live not in uh, panic and anxiety, but live as a bride of Christ, dressed, adorned, and ready for the restoration of all things. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. 